couple of gardening um, today. Um, just want to thank those who, who turned up and did that. Thank you. Um, if you are coming along with us to the picnic and to the games, we are doing that after um, teas and coffees are served. Uh, we're making our way down to a, a park over in Buckers Hill. If you want to know the details, how to get there, see um, Jim or myself or Phil or Annalise. Um, they will uh, point you in the right direction. It's not very far. It's probably about uh, four or five minutes from the church. Um, so um, hopefully you can come and, and join a, a packed lunch with us and some games. Responding to Christ. Responding to Christ. We come to our Bible reading, which was in Luke chapter 10. Only a few verses, but it's jam-packed with stuff in those few verses. Responding to Christ. And we are introduced to two ladies, two women in our Bible reading. And we're going to learn a lot more about them. We're introduced to them, Martha and Mary. And um, so my first heading um, this morning is, uh, let's get this thing working. Can I have it at the back there, Phil? My first heading this morning. It's going to happen in a minute. There we go. Opening her home. And we see it in verse 38. 38. As Jesus and the disciples were on the way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha, they were introduced to Martha. What did Martha do? The Bible said that she opened her home to Jesus. I'd like you um, to notice that the Bible says that she opened her home. It didn't say she opened her house. She didn't say to Jesus, here's a room that you can use. And that room only. The Bible says that she opened her home to Jesus. You know, a home is a place of intimacy. A home is a place where everything takes place. All your hats that you might wear in different places are off. All the different masks that you might wear for different people, you know, for your employer, you know, for the people that you meet in your leisure. Any mask is taken off when you are at home. You see, a home is a place of great intimacy. And when you enter your home, Everyone in your home knows your faults and all your failings. And it's that home that Martha opens up. She opens her home to Jesus and allows him in. It's wonderful. Very simple. And it's a very simple application. The application really is basic. Is the Lord Jesus Christ Lord of your home? That's a very basic application. You may be the only person in your house that's a Christian. You may go home and your children are not saved. Or you might go home and your husband or your wife are not saved. You might be the only one who comes to church. But nevertheless, you can still open your home to the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of saying to your family, I'm going to church... And you come to church and you meet with Christ at church. And then you leave him at church and you go back home empty-handed. Because you haven't taken with you the, the Jesus that you've met in his house. Many 
people seem to do that, are willing to meet with Christ on a Sunday, but don't bring him back to their home throughout the week. So the question really is, what does it mean to open your home to Christ? What does it really mean? Well, it's bringing Christ into every family issue that you may have. If my children are not believers, I'm going to speak to them and I'm going to pray for them in my own home that my children might know Christ. If my spouse, my wife, or my husband does not know Jesus, I'm going to live in such a way that it's going to be different so that my wife and my husband, when they look at my life, are going to see that I'm different. And I'm going to pray for them. So that in my home, Christ will be honored. If there's any ungodly activity that goes on in my house, if there's anything that happens in my home, that I have the power and the authority, and I'm able to influence, that I'm going to influence it for good. I know a Christian couple, husband and wife. They've got a number of children. Both of them are saved. They live over there in Epping. And then 18-year-old daughter brought her boyfriend home. Well, the father said, okay, your boyfriend's home and he's staying over, the, over for the night. Well, um, he took him to the boyfriend's bedroom and said, hey, here's a room for you. That is where you'll be staying. In the morning, he wakes up, he goes into the boyfriend's room, he's not there. He spent the night in his daughter's bedroom. So him being very concerned about that, he went to his wife and said to his wife, did you know that her boyfriend didn't sleep in his bed. He slept in our daughter's bed. And his wife said, yeah, I know. He asked me and I said, it was fine. Now, this is a serious issue. Now, what would you do? Now, some of you are thinking one way. And I know some of you are thinking the other. What would you do? You have got a, a young girl, 18 years old. And your wife says that the boyfriend can sleep in the bedroom. You think to yourself, I'm not too comfortable about that. He shouldn't sleep in the bedroom. What would you do? Don't put, answer your question there. We have a full-scale war going on here. What will you do in that situation? Both of them are Christians. I'll tell you what you should do. You need to ask yourself, what does God's word tell me that should happen? That's what you should do. At the end of the day, it's not about the wife, it's not about the husband, it's about opening your home to Christ. What would you do? What would Christ do in that situation? In fact, what the Bible says is that sex is between a husband and a wife. Amen? Man, it's too difficult. Amen. Amen? Amen. That's what the Bible tells me. It's no, there's no compromise, there's no difference. It's, it's just where it is. That's what sex is for. It's for the marriage. And so if you know the word, you begin to feel a bit more uncomfortable because you say, what can I do? If you are the man in the house, you have authority in your house, you need to turn around and say, I need, as far as it's possible for me, to have Christ Lord of my house. 
There's a man in the Bible. You think that's a hard thing? You think that's a difficult thing? This guy in the Bible called Gideon. God turned around and said to Gideon, Gideon, I want you to go into your father's house and I want you to rip down all the idols that's in your father's house. You think that's easy back in Gideon day? That was so hard. Gideon felt, I can't do that. In fact, Gideon decided to do it at night time so no one can see him. So he goes in at night and he grabs hold of the idols in his father's house and he throws them down and breaks them all up. That's a hard thing for Gideon to do. He done it at night. But God was pleased with him because from that he became a great warrior and take out thousands and thousands of soldiers with 300 men. Why? Because he was obedient to God's word. You see, if you're going to open your home to Christ, then it's not your wife who calls the shots anymore. It's not your husband who calls the shots anymore. It's not your children who tell you how to live your life. No, if Christ is Lord in your home, he open your home to him, then you are going to allow him to speak in your family. That's a very difficult word for some people to hear. Why is it difficult? I'll tell you why it's difficult. Because we've been listening to the world's philosophy far too long. We've been listening to what the world's been telling us. And as the world's been speaking to us and telling us what's right, we're taking God's word and saying, well, that's archaic, that's old. But I want to tell you, life is far better when people seek to do the things God's way. We know that. When we seek to do things God's way, life is far more, far better. Doing it God's way. But there's another home that needs to be opened up. There's a home in your life that needs to be opened up. I don't know if you've ever um, gone inside or seen t- programs of, um, of, of prison cells. If you've ever been in a prison cell or, or, or prison dormitory, whatever, you go in and there's a row of doors all going down one way. And then you come up the steps and there's another row of doors. And each behind every door, there's a, 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 a person in that cell. And you know, our lives, if you look at your life, your life can be very much like that. Your life is full of doors. I don't know if you've got a house like my house, but when people come to my house, I've got one room that all the junk gets thrown into pretty quickly. You know what I'm saying? Someone knocks on the door and it's, I don't know, John Tebbers come for tea or something. I'm like, oh goodness, it's John from the church. Quick, grab all the dirty washing and throw it into that room and shut that door. And no one can go in that room because it's completely a mess. I don't know if you've got a room like that in your house. But um, there's rooms in our houses that we don't want anyone to go into. And you know, it's very true about it in your life. There's places in your life, areas in your life that you say, you know what? Christ cannot come in here. He cannot come in here. I will open up the day of the door for Sunday morning or Sunday all day. You can have that. I can open up the door of my activities with this person or that person. I can open up different doors and Christ can have his word in those areas. But there's certain doors in my house that I'm going to close shut to Christ and he's not coming in. He's not coming in. 
And that's so true. I think most of us can agree on that and see that. But Martha, I want you to see with Martha. Martha done a good thing. Normally she's criticized so quickly and people forget what a wonderful thing Martha did. Martha didn't just open up a house and say, Jesus, use that room, but don't go into that bedroom, not go into the bathroom, and don't go into the back room, but you can have the front room, and all your friends can come in, and we can sit there and talk all day. She opened up her home to him. That he was able to come in. That's a good thing. You know what the Bible says about your home? What the Bible says? Speaking about the word of God, impress the word of God, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. When you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. You see that? The word of God is meant to be a part of your life. It's not meant to just be your, your churchy thing. It's meant to be something that you can sit down and speak to your unbelieving children and tell them some wisdom of God to your children who don't know God. Or to your wife or to your husband who think that going to church is foolishness. You're able to share with her something of the wisdom of God from your life. And you communicate something because the word of God doesn't remain in the church, doesn't remain in goldings. It comes with you, it goes with you into your own home. That's challenging, I know. But that's what the word of God says. Martha opened her home. Let me introduce you to another lady. She opened her ears. The second of these women that we meet in our Bible reading is Mary. These two women, they had a sister, uh, were sisters, Mary and Martha. They had a brother called Lazarus. Lazarus was the brother of these two ladies. And you know the story, Jesus raised Lazarus wonderfully from the grave. We also learn a little bit more about Mary. This Mary we find in um, John's Gospel. And it says, this Mary, his brother Lazarus, now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. She had a great love for Jesus Christ. In fact, she had a, a, a love and a deep desire, knowing that she has been a sinful woman, knowing that she has been ungodly, but now her life is changing, and now she's, she's worshipping Christ. I'm hoping that there's people like that in the church today. People who used to, who know that their life used to be like that, but now it's all done and dusted. They don't want to go back. Now they have a desire and a love to worship Christ. That's Mary. So where do we find this woman? Well, the Bible says she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Normally, this position was reserved for men only. Women did not sit at the feet of the rabbi back in those days. Men sat at the feet of the rabbi. Men are the ones who sit and learn and listen. But Mary was not going to be put off by the status quo of her society. She wasn't going to be put off by the things and the social etiquette of her society. No, Mary was going to break through all of that and she was going to be found sitting at the feet of Jesus. 
listen diligently to what he was saying. And I don't know about you, but sometimes getting to church, there's so many obstacles, man. So many obstacles trying to stop you from getting to a place where you will hear God's word. Not only that, there's so many other places where you can go and be entertained. And you can go and be entertained in different churches. You can go and be entertained in different places. And you come out and you never heard the word of God. But Mary made sure that nothing was going to stop her. Nothing was going to put her off. The the criticism that she received from her sister wasn't going to stop her. She was going to stay at the feet of Christ. Now it paid off for her big time, for Jesus was to speak of her and what she did in in the greatest of ways. Let me explain what I mean. You see, when a person dies, we still have it today, when a person dies, their body is embalmed or prepared for burial. Jesus was not going to have his body embalmed or prepared for burial. Why? Because he was going to be raised from the dead. That's why, and like us, when we die, our bodies are prepared and washed and we've got our suit on or our dress on, whatever we're going to put on, and when we go inside the, the ground, our bodies are prepared. But Jesus was not going to go into the ground. So what happens? Let's read it, shall we? Over in John's Gospel. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of a perfume. And not only that, look what it says after that. After she was, people wasn't very happy about that. Jesus replies, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the ball among you, but you will not always have me. You see, Mary was doing something that she must have had an understanding from the Spirit of God. There's going to be no time to pour perfume on Jesus' dead body. So she poured poured perfume on him while he was still alive and anointed his body. How did she know that? How did she have that understanding that to pour perfume on Jesus now was far better than to wait until after he died? How did she get that understanding? And as I thought about it to myself, there's only one way I believe that she got that understanding. And that is through spending time at the feet of Jesus Christ. Listening to him. Listening to his word. Understanding him. Focusing upon him. And through her spending time at his feet, revelation, understanding came to her that this one is a son of the living God and that he's not going to die, he's not going to go into the grave, but he's going to be raised from the dead. She had an understanding. So we find her doing what? Pouring this perfume, this expensive perfume upon Christ while he was alive 
and not saving it, which would have been too late after he died. You see, the Bible tells me something about hearing God's word. The Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you really want to grab hold of faith, you need to give your time. Hear me, church. Give your time to the reading, to the listening, and to the hearing of the word of God. You need to give your time to that. You give your time to so many other things. But if you want to have faith that rises up, understanding that rises up, revelation from God that rises up inside of you, then you need to spend time hearing and listening and reading the word of God. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Mary sat down. Her sister didn't like it. The Bible turns around and says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And, 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 and Mary and Martha was, was distracted. There's lots of good things to be done. Martha had a servant heart. Martha loved waiting on tables. She had a, a, a beautiful attitude about her to, to serve others. And she looked at her sister Mary and said, Mary is doing nothing, it seems to me. She's sitting down listening to you. How much are you and I distracted by many things? And we think by sitting down, reading the word is wasting time. We could be busy doing something else, making a phone call, going and doing something else. What's the point of just sitting still and and reading the word and praying? There's more important things to do. No, 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 no. Hear what Jesus turns around and says. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Will you choose what is better? There's a lot of needful things, a lot of things you can say is important, but will you choose what is better? And Jesus says, spending time with me is the best thing you can do. Nothing more better, nothing more special, nothing more important than spending time with me. See, when you spend time with Jesus, you begin to ask a request, you begin to ask him for certain things. When you spend time with him, When you're at his feet, you begin to request certain things. Let's look at what my third and final heading is about requesting. Opening her heart. You see, as she stayed at the feet of Jesus. And we move into chapter 11. We find other people at the feet of Jesus constantly. Namely the disciples, 12 men. 12 men spent time with Jesus Christ. These 12 men, they've watched Jesus very closely. They saw his power when he calmed the storm. They saw him heal the sick. They saw him having authority and power over evil spirits. They saw him doing miraculous things. 
But they noticed as they spent time at his feet, as they spent time looking at him, a request came up in their hearts. What was that request? Let's have it. In verse 1 of chapter 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. That was the request. When you're at the feet of Jesus, like Mary was, or when you're like the disciples who spent time sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching, but not only sitting at his feet, but watching his life, watching what he does, how he disappears in the early hours of the morning and spends time in prayer, how he moves about and heals the sick and, and casts out demons and raise the dead and, and all these are wonderful things that he was doing. They looked at him and they saw that it wasn't the miracles that were important. No, it was the time he spent in communion with God that was important. And so the request that came out from their hearts and the request that will come from the hearts of those who spend time at the feet of Christ, the request is this, Lord, teach me to pray. I'll, I'll tell you, I think one of the, no, I'll tell you, I don't think, I tell you, I know the weakest area in the whole church is individual prayers. People don't know how to pray. You might be among them. You might say, well, I can pray. Um, and, and, and when I pray after two or three minutes, I dry up. I've got nothing else to say. And so we, 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 we're raising up a generation of people within churches that don't know how to pray. And the sad thing is, no one is asking the Lord, Lord, teach me how to pray. I think... The church have got a lot to blame. You know, we, we, we have priests in churches that tell you, don't worry, I'll, I'll pray for you. We have people coming to pastors and saying to pastors, you know, please pray for me. Well, what's, what's the problem? Can't you pray for yourself? No, I want you to pray for me because you can pray better than I can pray. What kind of rubbish is that? And so we've got a generation of people moving into a situation where they don't know how to pray themselves. And instead of going to Christ and saying to the Lord Jesus, Jesus, I, I see that prayer is the most important thing. I see that even in your life, I see that you do nothing without seeking God. I see you do nothing without God involved. So I know that prayer is important to you. And if prayer is important to you, Jesus, then I need to learn how to pray as well. And so the disciples cried out, Lord, teach me to pray. That should be your cry. That should be my cry. Lord, I've been a Christian for many years, but I'm still a baby in prayer. Lord, teach me how to cry out to you. Teach me how to weep in your presence. Teach me how to sing when I'm in your presence. Songs of praise. Teach me how to lay hold of you. Teach me to say with Isaac, I will not let you go until you bless me. Teach me, oh God. Teach me how to pray. And when you begin to pray like that, 
You won't need a pastor to come alongside of you and sit down with you. You won't need a more experienced Christian to come alongside of you, to sit down with you. No, you will have the Holy Spirit himself coming alongside, filling you, moving your heart, and causing you to cry out to God like you never cried out to him before. And when you begin to pray, believe me when I tell you this, when you begin to pray, things around you will begin to change. And more importantly, when you begin to pray, you will begin to change. Prayer is not for God, you know. God's not sitting there waiting for you to pray. Not for God. Prayer is for you. Prayer is for you, for your heart to respond to him, for your heart to be changed by being in his presence. That's why prayer is so important. And that's why the enemy, the devil, will shut your mouth and cause you to fall asleep every time you try to pray. Why? Because he knows, he knows that when you spend time with God in prayer, you begin to change. He knows it. So look look back. The past five, six, seven days. Look back. And ask yourself the question. How long did I spend in prayer this week? Then you will know that Satan is working and he's succeeding in your life. In every way. Because if you can shut your mouth in prayer, then he will have a victory over you. And you will not change. You will not be able to go into your house and say to your family, Christ is Lord in this home. You won't be able to go to your house and you know there's things wrong, but instead of going in there with like John Wayne and blowing everybody away with your six shooters, you begin to get into prayer and say, no, God, I want to change this in my house. I want to change my relationship. My, my, my daughter is sleeping with her boyfriend. And my, 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 my son is sleeping with her girlfriend. I want to change that, and I'm going to change it first and foremostly by coming into your presence and praying with all my heart, Lord, that you will speak, that you will help me to put you a center in my home. My prayer for you this morning is that you don't take Jesus just here, but you will take him home and that he will be Lord of your life and your home. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we bow before you and thank you with all our hearts that you are willing to hear us more than what we're willing to speak to you. Sometimes we're so slow. So slow in praying. So slow in coming to you. But Lord, we thank you that you always have your ear inclined to us. You want to hear us. You want to have fellowship with us. You want to commune with us. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your goodness. And I pray that you will forgive us for our, our, our slowness. Forgive us for our laziness. Forgive us, Lord, that we're so distracted by many, many things. And these many things look important on the surface. But only one thing is needed. And that's fellowship with you. Help us, Lord, to prioritize. Help us to change 
our way of thinking, that we might bring glory and honour to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.